Thank you so much. Wow, what a great church. There are times where I meet people who are pastors in our city and I say, how is the church treating you? Because not every board is for their pastors. Not every church is looking to encourage and bless the pastors and their staff and their families, right? Um, boy, I love uh, people who are like, hey, we don't just want to bless you. We want to bless your, your wife or your kids or your husband and kids. So we really are blessed to be here uh, in this church. Honestly, uh, when God called me to ministry, I was like, oh, no, my kids will have to be PKs. I don't want to do that to them. And it really one of the greatest things for me is that church lets my kids just be human like everybody else. Uh, my mom told me I was going to be a pastor when I was 15. I didn't believe her. Turns out she was right. I was wrong. And uh, it was cool. But I, I've, I've noticed this in ministry. In fact, recently, we've had a lot of pastors go sideways in their faith. We've had pastors in, in America commit suicide. A lot of pastors burn out or have moral failures. Uh, a lot of pastors just really struggling with uh, discouragement or, or depression. Um, there's a lot of pitfalls out there. In fact, I read a stat that only 10% of those who uh, you know, start in ministry you know, in their early 20s uh, actually retire in full-time ministry. Uh, 10%, one out of 10 actually make it. So I'm hoping and praying, Pastor Dave, that I can follow in your footsteps in that way. Um, not that he's retiring anytime soon. He's got some time to go, okay? But just realizing that ministry is a meat grinder, right? And um, sometimes it's the expectations of people on you or your family. But honestly, worse, sometimes it's the expectations that we have for ourselves. And some of you know what I'm talking about, where you think you should be able to solve that problem. You should be able to fix that marriage. And, and you prayed for that person, helped that person, and it still went sideways. And so some of those expectations are really hard to manage. Um, I love the story of the man who got up one morning on a Sunday morning and he was very comfortable and he wanted to kind of lie around the house and watch the game. And he went to his wife and he said, you know, why don't we just stay home today? She said, no, you can't stay home. And he said, give me two good reasons why I have to uh, get up and go to church. He said, well, number one, God wants you to. And number two, you're the pastor. So let's, <laughs> let's go. You know, let's do it. Uh, in my life, just, uh, just uh, recently, uh, we have a golden retriever dog, and she is a wonderful, sweet dog. Uh, but if she doesn't know you, her bark is pretty loud, and so um, she can be a little bit scary. And so I was talking to one of our neighbors, and she said, yeah, I don't think the other neighbor really likes you guys very well. And I was like, well, what do we do? You know, we're trying to love our neighbors. And she, she said, well, the neighbor said to me, you know, you'd think for a pastor's family, their dog would be better behaved than that. Expectations, you gotta love it. <laughs> I remember being 24 years old in ministry, I was starting out, I was like a year in, and I was a youth pastor. I don't even think my wife and I had been married quite yet, and I was teaching on Sunday morning, or no, I was teaching on a Thursday night youth service, and I was teaching from First Peter, and the scripture said, you know, like, ladies, don't let your, you know, your beauty should come from within. It shouldn't be from outward adornment and all this stuff and your appearance. And I said, as a 24-year-old single young pastor, I said, I think it's amazing when women look beautiful in nothing at all. <laughs> and I, it came out of my mouth, and I tried to grab it and bring it back. And it was too late, lost the whole youth service. The next day, that was all they wanted to talk about in staff meeting, and I was just blitzed for it. Uh, I'm still waiting for that day where I wear the microphone into the bathroom, and the people in the sanctuary are like, what's that flushing sound? I think that'd be kind of funny, you know, because I'm looking to retire someday and laugh at myself and all these great stories. When I was um, uh, first a pastor, I wasn't licensed or ordained at the time, so I was commissioned by our church, and we had a Sunday night gathering, and I had to go buy a suit. I didn't have a suit. I didn't, you know, what was I going to do with that? So my mom took me down to the men's warehouse. She said, we're going to buy you a suit. And the guy gets in there. My mom's like, here's my credit card. My son is a pastor. Give him whatever he needs. And I was like, oh, here we go. 
And he's like, well, pastor, these shoes are all $125, and this suit's only $500, and we can get you this. And he grabs this little, like, uh, I remember it was like a burgundy, like, handkerchief, and he says, you have to have this. This looks great. And, and I told him my name, but he got my name wrong. And so he, as he kept dressing me up, you know, I'm standing there like a 24-year-old kid, like, who am I? And he goes, he goes, you look great, Trent. You look like KC Treat. I was like, my name is Peter, and I'm not trying to be KC Treat. That was this funny moment. But I remember learning that day that my mom said, hey, this is important. God's called you, and I want to resource you. And so some of us that are too frugal, frugal, I learned that day some things are more important than saving money. Isn't that true? And I remember the day I preached a really great sermon. I walked down the, the hallway to the information counter, and I was feeling good about myself. And they said, Pastor Peter, in the first service alone, we, we sold nine CDs of your sermon. I was like, right on. And they said, yeah, your mom bought eight of them. You know, and I was like... <laughs> So we all need supportive people in our lives. So support people around you. It probably means more than you even know. If you have your Bible, you can turn to Matthew chapter 25 today. We're talking, uh, we're in part four of this series on foundations, on building your life on the rock. Not building your life on the sifting sands of anything that's created or anything in this world, but building your life on the rock of Christ Jesus. That when the winds and the waves come, and they will come, they have come and they will come again. Uh, it's not going to be heaven on earth. We're not going to have heaven until we get to heaven. So this is going to be a battle. Faith is going to be a struggle and a battle in our world. Um, when they come, you will remain standing because your life is based on the Lord, not on yourself. So before we get into the scripture today, I want to have some fun. So we're going to do a math problem. You ready for a math problem today? today? All right, so do this with me. Start with the number 18 and see if you can follow along and keep the, uh, get to the correct answer. So start with 18. Add 12. Uh, divide by 5. Multiply that number by 8, subtract 7, what do you get? 41. You guys are bright people. Okay, let's do one more. Let's try another one. How about this? Start with 225, take the square root, add 7, multiply by 4, subtract 13, and then divide by 3. Raise your hand if you've got an answer for me. Anybody? 25? 25 is the correct answer. Now, how many of you got lost somewhere in there? How many got lost on the square root of 225? So you should have listened in school. Yeah, that's your problem. You were flirting with all the other kids in class, so all right. Here's the reality for those of us who didn't get it. If you didn't get that very first step, your calculations were off from the very start, right? And you have no hope of really doing that. Your faith is the cornerstone of your life. Listen, for the believer, God is the cornerstone of your life. And if you don't have faith in God right, then everything else will be off. Like John kind of mentioned it with the level there, like the cornerstone, like start with your faith. So whatever relationships, and everybody here has got a relationship that's not the greatest. It's not just you. But whatever relationships are not per, like the best, let's make sure that God is getting priority in our lives. And we're building our lives off of him. So today, the parable of the talents, Matthew chapter 25. I'm going to read just the first five verses, and I'll help sum it up so for the sake of time. Matthew chapter 25, uh, Jesus is telling a parable, a story with a purpose to teach us something uh, in our lives. So verse 14, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants, and he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave uh, five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. 
Jesus says, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money, and he earned five more. And the servant with the two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who had, a, who had uh, received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip, and he called them to give an account of how they used his money. If we go on to read the story, we realize the one who had five uh, got five more and, and, and returned that. And the one who had two produced two more. And, and God, the story of the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. But the one who stuck one in the ground and did nothing with it, that's the one that, that God says, get away from me. You do not know me. Depart from me. And I want to stop and say this. I'll say it again, hopefully, in the message. But of all the things that you do with everything God's entrusted with your life, the one thing that you cannot do is nothing. You can't say, God, you breathe life into my nostrils and all the money that's going to go through my hands and all the days that I'm going to live on this planet and all the relationships and the, the people I'm going to interact with and all the resources and all the gifts and talents and abilities, I'm just going to do nothing for you. But I believe in God. Like we have to understand that the worst thing we can do is nothing in our lives. We've been entrusted with a lot of money. A lot of money is going to go through our hands. Uh, I'm not going to shy back from challenging you. Honor God with your money. If you go to a church and they're like, well, we don't talk about money. It might offend people. Then you're not in a biblical church. Like God's going to challenge you. Like that was a big part of him having lordship in my life is when I said, I'm putting you first in my finances. By the way, I don't regret that. That was a good decision. And I always will make that decision. How about this? How many days will you have in your life? The Bible says to, Lord, teach us to number our days. Well, I've done it. I've lived 17,788 days as of this morning. I'm 48, so you do the math on how many days maybe you've lived. Some of you up at 20, 30,000. Right? Some of you are like, I'm 5,000 days in. We've got a ways to go. That's a lot of time in my life that God has entrusted me to live on this planet and do something great for him. And you are also responsible for the natural giftings you have, the abilities, the talents, the passions that God gave you. If you have a leadership gift, are you using that for God? If you have a business gift or a finance gift, are you using that for God? Don't just use it for yourself. Use that for the kingdom of God. If you are athletic and beautiful and funny like Pastor Dave, if you are... If you are good at cleaning or if you're good at encouraging or good at cooking or maybe you're good with kids or teenagers or old people or maybe you're good at diff with difficult people that the rest of us don't know what to do with. But you just have a knack, right? You just do that. Maybe you're good at organizing or teaching. Whatever it is, you're responsible to God with the gifts and the abilities he's given to you. Here's the great thing. You're not responsible for what God has entrusted to somebody else. Like, like, if you know somebody whose intellect is just ridiculous, they're, they're so intelligent, just stop and say, God, thank you that I'm not responsible for that kind of intelligence. But I want them in my group project when we get to that part, all right? Or maybe you know somebody who's, you know, multiple millions over. You're not responsible for, their, for that blessing. They are responsible to God for the money going through their hands. Don't, don't compare yourself to somebody else. Just do your best with what God's given to you. Some of you, maybe you just need some grace today. Just keep doing your best with what God's given to you. And don't compare yourself to others. Honor God with what he's given to you in, in this life. My kids are going to stand before God. They're going to give an account of what uh, he's entrusted to them. I can't stand uh, in their place. They will do that. Your kids will stand in, in, in that place as well, and you will. 
So the question is, are you investing all that God has entrusted uh, with you into ministry? Um, let me put that scripture back on the screen. Last service, I got way behind, so I'm going to have to kind of pick it up a little bit here. This is the scripture, um, verse 14, if you guys have it. It says, again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants, and he entrusted his property, like the master's property, it wasn't their property, uh, to them. Pastor Dave hit on this in the offering. I didn't even know he was going to go there, but we are stewards, and God is the owner of everything. That's a paradigm switch in life. Everywhere else I go in life, they say, this is yours. You own it. You earned it. You made it. You get to have everything. Like you, It's all up to you. But there's this different paradigm in the Bible that says, actually, we came into this world with nothing, and we're leaving with nothing, and we're only managing some possessions and resources for our time. So listen, the person next to you, they came into this world with nothing. You want to make it more awkward? They came in this world nothing and naked. Like, like, really, the person next to you. And they're going out of this world with nothing and hopefully with clothes on. I don't know. Like, we don't get to take anything. Like, we, we get to manage well today, and then we stand before the Lord. Nothing and back to nothing. What matters? The time in the middle. All those abilities. All those relationships. All those talents. All the resources that go through your hands, that's what we get to stand before God. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And you and I are just stewards, managing well for the real owner for God. So manage well what God's entrusted to you. I want to say this. Uh, I think spiritual maturity is, is a big part. Like if we're really people of wisdom, if we really have spiritual maturity, then giving is a part of that. In fact, I'll even say this. You can't be spiritually mature and a non-giver. Like you can't know the king of kings, the giver of life, and the one who gave his life for you. You can't be becoming more like Jesus all the time and still be a taker in this life. Something has to happen inside where there's a heart change, and you get to a place where you enjoy blessing others. You enjoy giving to others. You enjoy investing your life in serving others uh, in this life. Giving adds value to your life. It's fun to give. I, I'm proud that I tithe. I'm proud that I give offerings. I'm proud that I serve others. I wish I, did, I was able to do more, and I want to do more. I love what Jesus said. He said in the same chapter, verse chapter 25, he said the story, um, the king will say to those on his right at judgment day, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then the righteous will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry or feed you? When did we see you, Lord, thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. You were doing it for me. The way we treat others, the way we sacrifice what we think is ours, illustrates our heart, not just for others, but our heart for God. In our church, uh, I think it's a tremendously generous church, and there was a time a few uh, years back where uh, we were made aware of a need. A pastor in our community moved to eastern Washington to a very small town um, to, to start a work there, to restart a work there. And his name was Kim Kruger. He pastored in the Elma area. And he went there, and our mission team met, and God had been uh, good, and people had been generous. And we said, hey, we can help out. And we didn't even realize what was going on, so a check was cut and sent to him. And uh, he caught me later, and I think I've run into him three times. And when he tells me about this church, my church, you, and the generosity of this church, he cries, like, every time. 
and is so powerful and so touching. And he recently told that small church in eastern Washington about this moment. And my friend Wendell, his brother, said, hey, I got a video of it. And I said, I'd love to show our church. So this is Kim Kruger sharing about that moment uh, recently. And I can tell you, my brother's wearing a shirt that says True Grace on it. That's the church he goes to over in, uh, in Lacey. There, w- there was one day I was sitting there in the house. And I was writing out the checks for all the bills we had. It was that first year. It was that first summer we were here. And uh, I was writing out the checks, and I realized as I was writing out the checks that I was writing checks for $600 more than I had in the checking account. And I started crying. And I said, God, you promised to be faithful. You said you would take care of things, so... It's about two minutes to the post office, maybe from where I was sitting in the house to (laughs) if I walk slow. And I probably did walk slow because I was trying to give God time (laughs) to get the check in the in the mailbox. And I cried all the way to the post office saying, God, you have got to have a miracle. You, You have got to have a miracle in the mail today somehow. And, and I got over there, and my brother could tell you later probably what kind of act of God and act of Congress and everything else it takes for a check to come from the missions department at True Grace Church to here. But I can tell you that God was acting weeks in advance of that moment to get a $1,000 check from True Grace Church in our mailbox that morning, that day, right then. And it was... And it was there. When I opened the mailbox, there was a letter from True Grace Church. And I was like, this is the miracle I was looking for. And I was hoping there would be $600 in there. And God said, I'm more than enough. And made it a 1000 And you can tell Peter again, thank you for me. Doesn't that just make you want to give? <laughs> Giving is fun. If you're sitting down here and you go, oh, no, this pastor's telling me i got to be a giver. Listen, I'm telling you how to have fun with life. Bless people. Impact other people's lives in every way. It's fun to support missionaries. It's fun to plant churches. Uh, in our church, we, uh, we did a refinance a while back, and we had a project that was, you know, our loan was basically close to 30 years. It's a little bit complicated, but we began paying on that. We had uh, flipped the room. We had done the parking lot, and um, we bought a house with a lot next to it right behind us and borders our property. And so the loan, the loan was three and a half million dollars. And honestly, like today, it should be like uh, two and a half million dollars. Uh, in the process, these last eight years, we also just re-roofed the church. We gave a million dollars to missions, more than a million, and a host of other projects. And instead of owing $2.5 million, uh, because of generosity of people in our church, uh, we've attacked the debt like me at a buffet table. And uh, 
We don't owe two and a half million or two million. We don't even owe one and a half million. For the first time this month, we dropped below one million. We only owe $979,000 on the loan, which is so exciting. So um, I expect our church to be debt-free in four years or less. I mean, it's just remarkable. Uh, the generosity and the blessing of God. In fact, um, I want to share with you something. It's a new vision. Honestly, it's too early to share it with you, but I'm too excited to not share it with you. So um, uh, we've been looking for our next youth pastor and really praying about that. For six months, we've been looking. We've been interviewing. We're very, very selective. We want the right leader who's going to be a great example, godly person, and, and lead in that way. And we just haven't found the right person. And as we began to interview a lot of people, they said, you know, uh, there's very few uh, young people that are uh, going to colleges and affording uh, the cost of a private education. Most people are trying to do it online. A lot of people are just looking from within their church. And we call it other churches, other networks, just not finding the person. And I began to think about all these internship programs that are out there. And I thought, God, maybe we need to develop our own leaders uh, maybe we need to have a big internship program and develop future church leaders, future pastors, missionaries, what have you. And, and really, what if we developed uh, kids pastors, youth pastors, and we sent them out not just into our church because we want to keep the best, but also send them out into the world as well. So I was thinking about this empty lot that we've had. We've had a garage on it. And I was like, man, what if we built a, a house on that or a duplex on that? Like we got people in the church that could give towards that. We have people in the church that could work towards that, HVAC or electric or flooring or whatever, and we could do it for a lot less money. And wouldn't it be incredible to have a brand new house and say, we have an incredible place. And we have uh, some other houses on the street with us, so we don't have to wait. But I'm beginning to pray, God, is this what you have for us? We need to develop Christian leaders because we are blessed in this church. And there's a lot of churches we could say, we want to send you someone, and this guy's going to bless you, or this woman's going to be a fantastic leader in your church. We train them up. We want to just release them to you. And I think people might come from not just Washington, but other states to be a part of this. And so we're praying about that, believing in that. If you have passion for that, if you come up and say, Pastor Peter, if you do that, sign me up. Let me know that, because we're excited to see what God's going to do in that and with that. All right, I got to keep moving. Uh, number two, a foundation in Jesus helps you to rise above survival living. I didn't do this last service, but I'm going to walk back here for a moment. I think this is uh, too important. I had a vision one time in my life, and in this vision, everybody was drowning. And uh, I don't know if hopefully this will work. And in this vision, like I saw this vision, I don't know if it was a dream or what, but I saw this vision. Everybody just had their like, head barely above water, and they were all just treading water. And honestly, it was, it was us, it was the church. But no one was able to help anybody else because everybody was just so overwhelmed in their own crisis and chaos that no one was helping anybody. And it was horrible just watching everybody just try to stay afloat. That's all we're doing, just staying afloat. We're not impacting anybody else's life. We're just trying to stay afloat. And then some people in this vision, they found a rock underneath their feet while they were trying to stay afloat, and they stepped up on it, and then the water receded down to their chest. And as they got above the water, they could see other people that they could go and help. They couldn't see them when they were just overwhelmed. But as they stepped up onto the rock, they were able to be a blessing and to help others. Listen, church, I don't want to live in the world where we're all just surviving, trying not to drown. I want to live in the world where people are honoring God. He's blessing us. And because of that, we can see others and reach out and be a, a help to the world. Doesn't that make sense? Man, that's what missions is. That's what the local church is. That's who we want to be in our lives. I wish I had done that in the first service. That was a good illustration. Wow. 
The story in Jesus' uh, parable was so clear that one person did nothing. And doing nothing is not an option. You have to care. You have to serve. You have to invest your life. A couple weeks ago, I felt God spoke to me, and I was thinking about marriages. We had a marriage conference coming up. And I felt like the Lord just whispered to me, marriages are not destroyed by meanness of one or both spouses, but marriages are destroyed by indifference. Indifference. Uninterest. Well, do what you want to do. I'm, I'm worried about the kids. I've got my job, my health, my parents. I'm just trying to get through the day. If you want to come to bed, great. Everybody's on their own for dinner. Come home, nobody greets you. Leave, nobody notices. Marriages are destroyed just by being indifferent, just by being nonchalant. And, and, and it happens so subtly and so slowly. Listen, doing nothing in your relationships hurts them. Like when you get home, go find the person that you committed to love for the rest of your life and greet them. And do this. It may sound 1978. Go and say, how was your day? And look them in the eye and care and listen. And sit down at a table together and eat with someone in your home. Doing nothing with what God has given you, doing nothing in your relationships, it's just not an option. We have to take action in our lives. Um, I was a pastor in Louisiana now, he went on several mission trips with us, and some friends met him during a Hurricane Katrina relief from our church, and he's been on mission trips with us. His name is Max. Some of you might know Pastor Max. He's got a great accent. He loves God and just a really neat guy. And I knew he had this house that he had to rebuild. During Katrina, he was helping other people, trying to rebuild their homes and their churches, but he had a house and a church that needed to be rebuilt. And so finally, Max was able to rebuild his house, like in the middle of Hurricaneville. And he said, my house is actually technically below sea level. And it's in like the worst hurricane part of the nation. And I'm thinking, maybe you shouldn't rebuild there, bro. You know, like that. But Max rebuilt his house. Go ahead and show uh, Max's house on here. This is pretty cool. This is his house. And this is what he said. Peter, there's 450 tons of solid concrete in my house. 200 tons of concrete underneath the slab uh, that the columns are resting on. There are 40-foot-long telephone poles. And there are 70 of them under the ground. Like, this is Fort Knox, and Pastor Max lives there. And you know what he knows? He knows that the hurricane came before, and it's coming again. But this time, he, his house will remain standing. It is built to last. I want my faith to be like that. When other people, like, give up their, their uh, I just recently heard a story Give up their church, give up pastoring, give up their faith, give up their family and go sideways. When storms come in your life, whatever comes, people deconstruct their faith and they never bother reconstructing it again. Hello. I don't want to be that person. I want my faith to remain standing. I want to go deep in the Lord in my life. Let's make sure that our life is built on something stronger than ourselves. And then number three, as this, and this is going to sound interesting, but a foundation in Jesus means you live a rich life. Now, somebody here right now is going, I knew it. Here comes the prosperity teaching. And uh, this is not a health and wealth or prosperity gospel in this church. In fact, serving Jesus will cost you in this life. Uh, you have to love difficult people. You've got to forgive people when they hurt you. You have to give and serve and sacrifice. Following Jesus isn't easy. That's why Jesus called it taking up your cross and following him. So there's no promise of any earthly you know, you know, wealth in this life. That's nothing that we're after, right? But what I think about this point is I think we need to rethink what it means to be rich. 
And I think a lot of us are really rich when you really think about it. Like rich used to mean this, they have a lot of money and possessions. Maybe there's some better definitions for us to have. A rich person is someone who has friends and people who love them. They have joy and they have laughter in their life. They have good food, good people to enjoy it with. Uh, a, a rich person is someone who uses their resources to help others. That sounds like a rich life to me. They, a rich person is someone who's found God's forgiveness and, and found freedom in, in God. A rich person has friends that are like family. They have water and shelter and they have a bed to sleep in. A rich person is someone who has real wealth that cannot be taken from them, no matter their circumstances in this life. Rich people are people who get to help others. And rich people take the time to serve and they make a difference. Man, I, if that's the definition of rich, I am, I am wealthy. I am loaded. I got great friends. I get to live a life that is extraordinary and gets to impact people's eternities. I, I, it's fun to serve. It's fun to give. Like, the Bible talks about being rich towards God. Like, he's been so rich to me. There is significance there's purpose in giving and serving. Where do you start? Man, if you don't love kids and teenagers, all across Olympia, you talk to all the pastors. How's your uh, volunteers and kids and, and youth, how people serving? About half what it was before COVID. How has the world changed uh, in cultural and beliefs in the scripture? It's, it's like twice as hard. So for kids and teenagers, life has gotten harder and what they're being told to believe and everything since COVID and they have half the adults working with them that they used to. It's not good. Like we need people who are like, man, I went through hell and back when I was a teenager and if I can serve with youth and save them some hell, save them some scars, sign me up. You want a rich life? Man, go, go hang out with some preschoolers. Go hold a baby. You know, love young people. High five them. Bring them snacks. Bless them. Take your resources, your abilities. Because serving is rewarding. In the lobby after the service, there's some tables. And you can sign up for kids ministry where you can serve. You can sign up for youth ministry. There's other ministries as well. But I got to tell you, when I get on a mission trip and I go, okay, God, what's going to happen here this week? And I come home 10 days later. And I got all these stories and all these friends and all these interactions. And my life is richer because I sacrificed and I served. Your life is richer, more significant, more meaningful when you lay down everything you say is yours and you bless and touch others. Somebody said God's not so interested in your abilities as he is your availability. So I want to challenge you as we close this gathering just to maybe take a moment and say, Lord, Maybe you don't even respect your abilities or think your resources are small, whatever it is. But however many days you have left, would you just say, Lord, I'm available. Everything I own, I'm not taking anything with me. Not, not a single day, not a single dime, not even my talents. I'm available. Use me. Can we bow our heads? I'm going to invite the team to come out. And God, as we slow down and just Consider the words of this song and the availability of our own lives. Lord, use us. Take what we have. It's not off limits to you. 
Everything we have is from you. And so God, we will use our lives to impact people, the world, for you.
we stand together to pray? Lord, we don't want to hoard anything in our lives. Not blessings. Not our time. Not Jesus. Lord, help us to be that throwback church that actually invest in the kids in the neighborhood and even even takes them to church. Lord, help us be people that enjoy giving, enjoy serving, and experience the reward of pouring our lives out and what it brings back to us. Lord, help us to build our lives on the rock and stay standing in a world where so many fall. Lord, help us to pay off this mortgage. Help us to build this house. But God, help us just to honor you in the daily little things in our lives. Lord, we're available. If someone this afternoon needs to be prayed for at the store, I'm available. If someone needs to be encouraged and taken to lunch, God, I'm available. Lord, help us to understand that we are living on the mission with Jesus and there's not enough of us. So resource the kids ministry and the youth ministry and let this church be a light to the city, God. And Lord, don't ever let us get to the end of life and say, well, I, I just tried to get through the days. I, I didn't really think God wanted me to, to serve and honor him or go on a mission trip. God, help us to get it now. So one day when this life is over, we don't have regrets. God, help us to train up the next generation to really be disciples and to really follow after you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Well, I'm glad I came to church. It was touch and go this morning, but I'm glad I came. God bless you. Thank you for serving the Lord and being a blessing to others. If you're looking for a ministry to get involved with, the tables in the lobby are for you. Encourage someone, bless someone before you go.